Life in New Zealand is sweet as, bro. Too sweet. Fruit drinks, vitamin-style waters, energy and sports drinks all contain high levels of added sugar. They are not needed and may actually do you harm. And too salty. The Consumer Indeed study has found several common processed foods contain potentially dangerously high levels of sodium. Excess sodium consumption is uh, uh, the top risk factor for an unhealthy diet. It's about 1.8 million lives every year are claimed because of this very simple behaviour. Excess sodium consumption is responsible for a high rate of cardiovascular disease and strokes, as well as cancer, particularly gastric cancer. I'm Alexia Russell, and today on The Detail, a look at the hidden extras in our packaged food that are shortening our lives, and how the hold-up on fixing this ties into an RNZ series on lobbyists. And don't worry, this isn't a lecture about growing your own veggies and cooking your food from scratch, but it does sound alarm bells about the lack of action our government is taking on the issue of reducing salt in our diets, in spite of signing up to a World Health Organization agreement to do so. WHO has decided to uh, put together a report that maps the policy response to high-sodium intake. This is Dr. Francesco Branca, the director of the World Health Organization's Department of Nutrition and Food Safety. That report he's talking about has just been released, and New Zealand scores a miserable two out of four. That means we're making very little progress with policy measures designed to cut our salt consumption, which right now is thought to be about 70% more than the recommended maximum. Member states have decided to uh, uh, set themselves a goal to reduce uh, by 30% the consumption of uh, salt, but unfortunately we're not on track to achieve that target. So WHO uh, really is calling the attention on the need to accelerate the policy response. It's not just about informing consumers, but it's about uh, nudging food manufacturers to change the formulation of their products and reduce sodium in different categories of products. Our taste uh, can be adjusted very easily. It's in a matter of weeks. The WHO's report has come out at the same time as Consumer New Zealand research on ultra-processed foods, which asks, are they the latest nutritional baddie on the block? The short answer is, yes, they are. It's very disappointing, I think, is, is a good word to, to describe what's come out from WHO and uh, in Consumer New Zealand. Yeah, I would use the word disappointing. Associate Professor Rachel McLean is a public health physician at Otago University. Disappointing in that we're not um, ensuring that we have a food supply that is safe for people to eat with respect to uh, preventing high blood pressure and cardiovascular disease. Um, We know what to do. We've got very Mm -hmm. clear guidance from WHO as to what um, is expected. We've got very clear targets from WHO that we've signed up to, and, and that was in 2013. Um, we've signed up to ensuring a 30% reduction in population salt intake, uh, and yet we've done very little, and we've, we're certainly not doing what is recommended. Because we have known about the dangers of too much salt for many, many years. Yes, since the 1980s, really, the evidence was coming out um, from the 1980s, and it's been very clear ever since um, 
that reducing salt intake, particularly on a on a population level, so across the food supply, is is one of the best bets for reducing stroke and heart disease worldwide. Okay, tell us what the World Health Organization report came out with that was so worrying for us. So the the report was really about monitoring progress on on the target of a thirty percent reduction in population salt intake, um, and instead of looking at salt levels, they evaluated interventions at a government level or at a population level. So they they looked at what countries were actually doing, um, uh, and they specifically looked at countries that had signed up to achieve this goal. Um, so they looked at a range of different strategies and they graded countries on a scale of one to four, where countries that were given a four were doing really well and had adopted a reasonable proportion of the the recommended interventions and countries that got a one were not doing anything much at all. And, and New Zealand only got a two, um, which is very disappointing. And um, it's very clear that we need to do more in this space. Is, it, is there a definite correlation between what the government tells us to do and what we do? I mean, you know, is there a, could it be the situation that New Zealanders are opting for low salt options. Um, <laughs> so it, it, the the advice is not for just government to tell people what to do, but to ensure that we have a safe food supply. Um, so it's not really that individual people aren't doing enough. It's that our food supply is not enabling us to um, have a low salt intake. So I mean, the government needs to do more than just tell people what to do. I mean, certainly... Educating people about what they can do is an important part of any salt reduction strategy, um, but we also need to work much more closely with food producers and we need to um, reduce sodium in or salt in processed foods. We need to do more in the food labelling space so that people can tell which foods are high salt and which are low salt. Um, so... It's much more than just telling people to reduce their salt intake. New Zealand sort of had a fraught relationship with labelling. We can't even, you know, get to the stage <laughs> where we know where our food's coming from. And that saga's taken years. Well, food labelling is a bit fraught internationally, and um, there are some countries that don't even have a nutrition information panel, which is the small panel on the back. So um, New Zealand is not a world leader in. Uh, food labelling from a nutrition perspective, but it's it's not the worst country in the world, so I don't want to be too hard on us. But the Health Star Rating is is an initiative that is an attempt to show people which are the healthier foods within particular categories, and um, it, it certainly has some potential to help uh, consumers identify lower salt foods or healthier food options, but um, the uptake of the Health Star rating has been pretty slow by food manufacturers. And so what WHO recommends is that governments um, consider making front of pack labelling, such as the Health Star rating, uh, mandatory, so compulsory on all processed foods. I mean, Chile is, is a world leader in the salt reduction space, and it has mandated um, labels that say that a product is high in salt or high in sugar. So these are prominently displayed on the front of packages so that people can identify high salt foods. So that's an option that we could consider if um, 
if we're not making sufficient progress. How bad are we? I mean, how much salt do we consume a day? Well, one of the problems is that we don't monitor our salt intake regularly. Uh, The most recent population study was one that uh, we did and we collected the data back in 2012 and that showed that we're eating on average about 9 grams of salt per day, 8.5 to 9 grams, when the maximum level in adults that's recommended is 5 grams. Now we haven't done any sort of nationally representative surveys since then but Um, We have collected data on salt intake in various contexts and it looks like it's not shifting at all since 2012. So what are the baddies? What what are we getting it from? Um, So we're not getting a lot from what we add ourselves is is really interesting information. Um, So only about 13%, one three, is what we add in cooking and at the table. Um, So it's not that people are adding too much salt themselves, it's the majority of the salt is in processed food. So particularly bread and cheese and processed meats, um, sauces and pre-prepared meals, takeaways and restaurant food would be the biggies. Ben, what did you have for tea last night? Uh, I cooked up a spaghetti bolognese with uh, mince, uh, corn, two capskins and a jar of tomato sauce. Like that bolognese... The bolognese, you know, tomato sauce. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have a look what was on the ingredient list? No. It's easy to say, oh, well, everyone should just cook from scratch and everyone should buy fresh produce and cook everything from scratch and then they wouldn't have um, this problem. But, of course, people don't do that. People have busy lives. People have two jobs. People are are on, you know, low incomes and, and people can't do that. They People do use pre-prepared sources and we should live in a country where those sorts of pre-prepared meals that are available in our supermarkets are safe for people to eat, that aren't going to impair their health later in life. But what do you do if the salt is being used as a preservative? Yeah, so in ancient times, salt really was our main form of preservative of food, and it was used um, primarily as a preservative rather than as a condiment. But of course, we have many more um, options now. We have refrigeration, we have freezing, um, we have canning, we have vacuum sealing, we have best before dates. So we have a number of other options for preservatives. Um, we do need to use some salt in preserving processed meats. We need to use a little bit of salt when we make bread. Otherwise, the yeast behaves in unpredictable ways. But WHO have also helped us in that respect and provided a list of targets that um, different foods should be aiming for. Um, And these targets are levels of salt in food that are safe from a preservative point of view and better from a health point of view. What's been the reception from government and government agencies um, to trying to move towards the a healthier kind of, you know, more more knowledge when we go to the supermarket, more information, more labels? Well, that's a really good question. And um, I've been listening to the, listening to Radio New Zealand this week. 
In the murky world of political lobbying, who you know is vital. I'm Guyan Espiner, an investigative journalist at RNZ. For the last few months, I've been examining this industry. Listening to the report about um, lobbying and the power of lobbyists in, in our government. The documents show how lobbyists use their inside knowledge and personal connections to try to get what their clients want. They have access and influence few New Zealanders can rival. And the fact that there are professional lobbyists that work to try and influence government policy at a variety of different levels. And the food industry invests in lobbyists and um, they seem to be having quite a powerful influence on um, government at the moment, not just the current Labour government, but in, in the national-led governments in the past. Um, the food industry is a very powerful industry, and particularly in Aotearoa, New Zealand, where it's a major industry from an export point of view as well as a, a national New Zealand point of view. So I think the food industry is very powerful. If you look at when the Health Star rating was developed, um, all the evidence pointed to the effectiveness of a traffic light labelling system and yet the food industry um, intervened and lobbied hard for the Health Star rating system instead and yet the uptake has been very slow. Ever notice the stars on the front of your food packaging at the supermarket? Did you ever wonder why they're only on some foods but not others? Studies show that because the Health Star ratings are voluntary, companies are much more likely to leave them off foods that get a low rating. The STAR system was introduced in 2014 to improve the food landscape in New Zealand and Australia. But studies show that so far only a quarter of packaged foods have the STAR labels, and while some products have been reformulated, the most unhealthy are still going STAR-free because the regulations are voluntary. And there's been a lot of consultations recently with Food Standards Australia New Zealand and um, you know, public health groups and consumer groups, we you know, we're really small, we don't have a lot of resources. So yeah, we're constantly battling with the food industry, which has obviously a lot more resources and is a lot bigger than us. So it's it's pretty tough. Belinda Castles is the Consumer New Zealand research and test writer who's written about ultra processed foods and the reasons we should stay away from them. But staying away from them is harder than it seems. Well, a 2019 study, which is the last one that looked looked at this, um, there was 69% of the packaged foods in the supermarket were classified as ultra-processed. So we're talking about, you know, a high percentage of the food supply. So ultra-processed foods tend to be, you know, higher in sugar and sodium and calojoules, and they're just everywhere. So the research is really starting to highlight that it's not just what's in a product, but also how processed it is when it comes to our health. So uh, in terms of the methods used to process that food or the extra sort of preservatives or, or sort of non-food foods that go into them? Yeah, well, a little bit of both. So the definition of ultra-processed foods is, well, I think the consumer definition is that they often contain ingredients you wouldn't cook with at home or have in your pantry. So, you know, when you look at an ingredients list, you'll see some things you recognise, but often you'll see some ingredients that you won't recognise or you wouldn't cook with. And it's the same with the processing. So, you know, processing can be anything from, you know, peeling a product to cooking it, but the processing and the um, the methods that go into these ultra-processed foods, they're not what you'd do at home. So it's really just a whole lot of different ingredients and different processes that are making the products less like the whole foods that they're derived from. So you're talking about 
you know, colour, flavourings, you know, things with numbers, not names? Yeah, things with numbers and names, but also, you know, there's... 40 plus terms for refined sugar, um, you know, just those types of bamboozling words that consumers wouldn't understand. How are these things marketed to us? Is there a concern with that? There is. So ultra-processed foods do tend to be heavily marketed. So, um, you know, especially to children. So you've got your brightly coloured cereal packets with cartoons and games on the back. Um, You've got your, you know, your lunchbox snacks that might have some collectibles. I mean, really, this marketing of this this junk food to children, we'd like to see some regulations. I mean, it's children are a vulnerable group and it's just not not good enough that, you know, kids are being swayed by um, the packaging, but also by, you know, digital marketing, you know, the games that they might play, the, the sponsorship of events that they're taking part in. There's a whole raft of issues with the marketing of um, unhealthy food to children particularly. And there's a classification system for how processed food is, isn't it? The NOVA one, can you explain that to me? Yeah, so the NOVA system is, the, I suppose, the well, well, most well-known and most um, accepted one. So it talks about foods in four different ways. So it goes from unprocessed, which is essentially, you know, your fresh fruit and vegetables and, and meats and things like that. Then they talk about culinary ingredients. So those are things that are um, basically, you know, your, your salt, your sugar, your butter, so things that you use to cook products. And then the spectrum goes right through to the ultra-processed foods, which have got all those extra ingredients and have undergone some type of processing that you wouldn't do at home, basically. So all processed foods are not necessarily bad, though. It's sort of, what is it, the degree of it? It is the degree of it, but unfortunately it's not that simple either. So the degree of processing doesn't always equal um, how nutritious a product is. For example, um, breakfast cereals is quite a good example. So probably most of them would be classified as ultra-processed because they have quite a few ingredients, but they are all not the same when it comes to nutrition. So wheat bix for example, is high in fibre, low in sugar, low in sodium. Um, versus Cocoa Pops, which is, you know, high in sugar, moderate amounts of sodium and should really only be a treat food. So there's still some work to do when it comes to classifying foods and whether it's kind of an everyday nutritious food versus a treat food. So with all this complexity, how does the average consumer doing their supermarket shopping work out what to put their hand on? It's tricky, I agree. So obviously the ingredients list is a good way, it's a good way to start. So every ingredient in that product needs to be there and it starts from the most um, abundant product is first down to the smallest ingredient. And so if you look at that ingredient and see that sugar, salt, um, you know, unhealthy fats are, are quite um, at the start of that list, then that's not obviously not obviously a good thing. The other thing to do is consider the amount of the whole food in there. So, for example, if you're buying pork meatballs, the percentage of pork has, has to be stated. So you might be surprised. I mean, we've found guacamole dip that have 1% avocado. So you've got to consider wow. that. It's extremely ultra-processed and <laughs> not what you'd make at home. What else would they put in guacamole dip? Oh yeah, a whole lot of whole lot of words you might not even know what they are. Fillers and dextrose and thickeners and um, you know oil and yeah, probably a lot of nasty stuff in there. We know they are not the healthiest, but ultra processed foods are quick, easy, and tasty. Now, new research shows eating a lot of these products can significantly speed up cognitive decline. 
when you were doing your research into this, did you come across any sort of, you know, I said we know too much salt leads to blood pressure problems, sugar well documented. What about dementia and cancers and stuff like that? Yeah, that's right. So there's more and more um, science starting to you know, come out about ultra-processed foods. And there has been strong associations between those things you've talked about, but also certain types of cancers. And there's also emerging concerns that these ultra-processed foods are addictive. So um, there's been some editorials that they can trigger urges and cravings. And the other concern, more simply, is that they're convenient and tasty, so they're really easy to overeat. And so then you're displacing more nutritious foods in your diet. So, no, you've Kids are filling up on on rubbish, basically, and so they're not eating the other things they should be eating. Kids and chicken nuggets. How do you solve that problem? It's a tricky one. Um, (laughs) I must admit, I tend to try to make chicken nuggets myself, you know, just with the chicken breast or something, a bit of eggs and breadcrumb. Again, there's chicken nuggets and there's chicken nuggets. So if you check that ingredients list, you'll find some might be 75% chicken, others might be less than half chicken. So again, there is a, quite a range when it comes to the ultra-processed foods. And it's probably what you're serving it with. Like if you're giving your kids chicken nuggets, because, yeah, I get it, we all, we all do it, then make sure that the rest of the plate's filled with, you know, fresh vegetables and salad things. It's all very well sort of pointy-headed academics saying, oh, you've got to stop eating chicken nuggets and pre-prepared meals and pre-prepared sauces. But, I mean, that's not the way people live their lives. People are busy, people are on low incomes, people have children that are either fussy eaters or are rushing out to football or various other things. I mean, I think the reality is that processed foods are part of our food supply, they're part of the way a lot of people eat, and, um, you know, we're not going to succeed if we tell everyone to cook everything from scratch and eat fresh fruit and vegetables three times a day. Um, so we need to make sure that they're as nutritious and safe as they possibly can be. And that's where um, the government needs to take a lead in requiring the food industry to reformulate their products. These convenient foods are a reality of many people's diets, mm. like the, the guys in your office who have spag bowl with, with pre-prepared sauces. I suppose the other issue with some of these products is also how they're packaged. So some of them are packaged in, you know, sort of an inside container within a box within something else. So, yeah, absolutely, the environmental aspect of ultra-processed foods plays a part. Um, I'm not aware of um, too much too much work in that space, but it's definitely something that I think we'll see a lot more of going forward. I think everyone in public health agrees that we need to eat less processed food Um you know, dietary guidelines are going that way. And that obviously helps the environment as well, as we talked about. So I think it's it's something that all nutrition experts agree on, is that less processed food um, equals better, better nutrition. That's it for today. I'm Alexia Russell. The details supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Rangi Poek engineered this podcast and Sarah Robson produced it. Thanks to Belinda Castles and Rachel McLean. Kakite Anon.